Discipline and consistency separate the good from the great. Welcome to the Millionaire Woman Show, where we'll be discussing leadership, business, human potential, inspiring you to live rich from the inside out. Unlock your creativity, stretch out of your comfort zone, break through your barriers, take inspired action, and achieve epic results. Now here's your host, three-time best-selling author, speaker, and certified executive coach, Deborah Kozowski. Hello, everyone, and welcome to The Millionaire Woman Show, where I bring you guests from around the world, inspiring, motivating you to take action and live your life rich from the inside out. So today, my guest, I have met through some podcast pals, and I can't wait to share her with you. Catherine Ely is a former attorney turned licensed national certified counselor and recovering perfectionist. Through her Imperfect Thriving podcast, Counseling, Consulting, and Program Development, Catherine helps you let go of perfection, get out of your own way so you can take action and reach goals and love yourself. Please welcome Catherine Ely to the show. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. It's wonderful to have you. And I know that, you know, we see all these bumper stickers, you know, imperfect um, thriving, for example, could be a bumper sticker, of course, you know, um, perfect, um, perfectly imperfect, all these different type of bumper sticker phrases. And, you know, remember progress over perfection. So all of these messages for us to remind us not to aim for perfect. So when you, what got you to start really focusing on your own perfection and to recover from being a perfectionist? So can I tell you a little story about that? Absolutely. Bring it on. So this will basically tell you my age. This was a few years ago. So at 49 years old, I was nearing the end of my program, my master's um, in clinical mental health to be a counselor. And I had this life-changing moment. It started like just a regular Sunday. I was doing what I do, cooking for the week. And I decided to sit down and like scroll through my email. And I got to this one email and I just felt my heart stop. And the email to y'all might not be much, but the email said that I had to make a presentation in front of an auditorium of educators. My first thought was, no, 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 I, I can't do that. Because speaking in front of a crowd was my greatest fear ever. Before this, you know, I realized that I did have anxiety most of my life. You know, when you go back to school and counseling, part of what you do is uncover all of your own stuff before you get in a room to help someone else. So I knew I was anxious, but I didn't understand that I was a perfectionist until this day. After after my heart stopped, I sat down and I thought about it for a second. And now my heart's beating out of my chest and I was thinking, I'm just going to have to quit. I only have a couple more months left, but I'm just going to have to quit. So I calmed down after a minute and through the acceptance commitment therapy that I had been working toward learning for my clients, I got in touch with what I valued, what was most important to me. And that was becoming a licensed counselor so I could help other people with anxiety get out of their own way. Fast forward two days later, I'm walking in the auditorium heart pounding out of my chest, palms sweating, 
approaching the stage as if I'm approaching my own funeral. And I get up on stage, the lights on me and the microphones in front of me and the strangest thing happened. Words actually came out of my mouth. I didn't combust. I didn't spontaneously combust. I didn't die up on the stage. And my first thought was, what else has my brain been telling me that I can't do that I really can? That was when I realized that my brain was telling me I'm not enough. I'm not interesting enough. I'm not pretty enough. I'm not enough. And that keeps me in this perfectionistic mindset of always trying to prove that I am. And it was that, it was just that day that I realized, wait a minute, I've been telling myself I can't my whole life. What is this all about? So that's when I took a deep dive into what is perfectionism and how is it stopping me? So you're, you're a very articulate storyteller and it <laughs> surprises me to hear your story. But what I also realize as I hear you, as you share the story, I want to know how did it feel when that, that moment was over, when you walked off the stage, knowing that you did exactly what needed to be done? What a great question. It, it still gives me chills to this day because that was the turning point in my life. That was when I decided I'm going to open my own practice. I don't need anybody else to show me how it's done. I'm not going to work for anybody else for the rest of my life. I'm going to do it myself. And I realized that that huge leap out of my comfort zone was where life really begins. Like that was the big moment for me was that I'm always going to have to have one foot, if not both feet out of my comfort zone and be challenging myself constantly so that I can feel this amazing self-accomplishment that I haven't ever felt before. Yeah. You know, I, I've, um, you know, done those hard things, you know, when we tell yes. ourselves we can do those hard things, things that we didn't think were done, but you know, at the same time, I think when I signed up for them, like a marathon or different things that I've done, I knew that they were hard, but as soon as I committed to them, it was considered done in my mind, just like walking on the stage, you know, that you said, yes, so it's going to be done. <laughs> Yeah, what it looks like from the beginning to end, I can't guarantee, but I do know I'll be at the, I'll be standing at the end, right? True. And, and True. when you tell yourself that you know you know that you can do hard things, you you suddenly have this realization. I don't know if you had this when you came off the stage, but it's this realization that what else can I do? Yes. It, to me, it was like I went in one in one moment in one day. I went from I can't, I can't, I can't to, well, is there anything I can't do? You know, from I can't do this, I can't do that to thinking, I don't think there's anything I can't do if I decide I want to do it. Yeah, I mean, it was just a complete and total 180 after 49 years of doing it one way. And there's so, so yeah. many different ways to accomplish things. But when you try to, not, you're wanting to prove yourself wrong that you can't. And can't yes. really comes down to a choice, isn't it? It's like, I choose not to is different than I'm going to give it what I can. And let's see where the ca cards fall. Yeah, absolutely. When perfectionism rules your life and tells you you can't, you feel helpless and like you don't really have a choice, even though you do. So 
what what is the premise of why people fall into that state of perfection? Like, what kind of things lead people to be perfectionists? So I see a lot of women in my practice, and because I focus on anxiety, I see a lot of people who suffer suffer from per- perfectionism. And I've been delving into the cause. And so I've been reading about it, you know, in peer review journals, but also just doing the own research in my office. There are so many women who have the thought, I'm not enough. Mm. And I'm not enough drives perfectionism because we are consistently trying to set the bar so high, thinking that if we reach it, we will finally prove to ourselves that we are enough. But instead, what happens is we miss the bar because the bar is perfect and humans aren't. Mm -hmm. So we prove to ourselves time and time again that we are right when we say we can't do it. And then we look for evidence. Yes, that's exactly right. You, You find the evidence you're looking for, no matter what it is, right? So... So there are several contributors to this, especially for women. One is, quite frankly, we're taught it by marketing and society. We're taught that our hair needs to look better and we need to buy this product so that it will be prettier. We need to buy this makeup. We need to get this Botox. We need to be on this diet. We need to do all these things so that we can, at least on the outside, be the perfect woman. So we do have that screaming from the rooftops at us constantly. But then we also have different experiences in childhood that can contribute to it. If you're loved or rewarded for your performance, rather than giving it unconditionally, you start to believe that you have to prove your, that you are enough and that you are worthy. And it, can, it could be something as simple as one comment or one experience that we sort of latch onto as children and that becomes the lens through which we see ourselves. You know, that's very interesting that you say that because it does take only one comment. I remember when I was in my nursing practicum years, years ago. And I remember one of the patients that was assigned to me was a 12 year old Olympic hopeful. And she had, you know, a whole bunch of Olympic gymnast pictures on the wall and a coach had said to her, you need to lose a little bit of weight. Oh. And you need to lose a few pounds. And it led to anorexia, the threat of tube feeding. And all it was, was one comment. And I think it's also, when I think about it, you have one comment, but you also have an attachment to a thought that you might have yes. believed to own that, right? Yes, absolutely. She saw, she wanted to see herself as the this Olympic gymnast and whatever her coach said that was either going to help her get there or that was going to hinder her getting there, she was going to attach to and really make a lot of meaning out of it. And to her, she didn't hear you need to lose a few pounds. She heard, if I stay at this weight, at this weight my dreams are going to be crushed. Yeah, yeah. And, and a 12-year-old girl, there, there's no worse time to tell a little girl that you need to lose weight than 12 to 14 years old. Yeah, such an impressionable time and it just takes one comment. But it I really think does. When, when you're thinking about these women that you were counseling and you're thinking mm-hmm. about the healing process, 
you know, where do you even start, you know, when you're thinking about people getting in their own way and they're, and they're starting to recognize it. And sometimes they don't recognize it. It's like, oh my gosh, I'm caught in this cycle and I get, I'm getting anxious because I need things to be this way and there's no yeah. other way. Yeah. So definitely I start by getting down to whatever limiting belief that woman has about herself. Oftentimes it is not enough, not all the time, but oftentimes it is not enough. It's either not enough, enough, not worthy, unlovable. Those are some of the, the standard negative core beliefs, but I work with them to get to the bottom of what are you telling yourself? Because your thoughts create your emotions, your thoughts and emotions create your actions. So it all begins with whatever you are telling yourself, what you think about yourself, that's what's causing the anxiety or the perfectionism or the depression or whatever else you've got going on. It is your own thoughts and it's usually your own thoughts about yourself. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that's what we do first is get to the bottom of what has been the roadblock or the obstacle for her. We have to unearth it. We have to be able to see it before we can move it out of the way. Right. And for those of you listening, because we have men who listen to the show as well, that these apply to you as well. Absolutely. Um, you know, Catherine's work is, you know, a lot of it is with women and knowing, I would just want to qualify for anyone listening that all of these tools are for you as well. Absolutely. Um, I have plenty of male clients and plenty of male clients who suffer from anxiety and perfectionism as well, yeah. um, for sure. So Catherine, when, when you think of the clients that you're working with, and, I, and I'm just putting this out there, you know, getting in their own way, what there's many contributing, um, influencing factors that affect those thoughts. You know, we, um, I know in coaching, we talk about internal and external influences. What are some of the um, top two influences that you see impacting people's thoughts? Maybe three, two or three. One thing is just that our brains haven't caught up to where we should be in evolution. Our brains are designed to, pro to protect us and keep us safe from harm. Our brains don't distinguish between physical harm, emotional harm, mental harm. It's just there to keep us safe. So we have, we don't have these dangerous animals lurking around the corner wanting to eat us for lunch anymore, but we still don't want to feel like failures. So our brain is always jumping to, you can't do that, or you're not ready to do that just to keep us safe from harm. But what it does is it actually ends up causing us more harm and causing us more problems. So one thing is really starting to recognize what your brain is doing to you, how it's creating these problems for you in situations where there's really not a problem. So I would say that is, now tell me your question again. <laughs> well, it's just that- So focused so on the answer. Two to three um, influencers. So we always know like thoughts, affect, um, you know, your feelings, your lead to your behaviors that, you know, lead to that actions that are giving you your results. Right. But we have, what is influencing the thought? So, you know, sometimes it's who you're hanging out with. Yeah. Could be yeah. Influencing that thought. It could be childhood memories, but what are the core ones that you seem to see in your practice? Big influencer of our thoughts is 
the rules that we grew up learning. Um, and sometimes it's from church, sometimes it's from our family, sometimes it's from society. And it's learning these rules and hanging on to them and being very rigid with them. Specifically with women, there are a lot of shoulds and men too, and how they see themselves and how they see the role of women. It might be a thought of women should always care for others. For men, it might be, I need to be a provider. I don't need to be sensitive. I don't need to show emotion. And having these rigid rules for ourselves, um, basically we're telling ourselves we can't be who we really are. We need to be someone else. Who we are is not good enough. So that's a really big influence um, is the rules that we've learned from family, from society, and from church a lot of the times. So, you know, obviously for confidentiality, you can't share, you know, anything about your clients. But in general, when you have someone with those rules of society and the rigidity, how, how do you help them see things differently? So that is a great question. It's a multi-step process and it's based, I use acceptance commitment therapy, which is um, founded in science and research. And so one thing that we'll do is we'll work on using mindfulness to separate from those thoughts. So first you have to become aware that you're having them and you use mindfulness to recognize right when you have it and let it go instead of getting tangled up in it in your mind you know, taking you out of the present and into your head. So the first thing is sort of using mindfulness to recognize and let go of the thoughts. Then there's this sort of metamorphosis that I help my clients go on between thinking all of these negative things about themselves and focusing in on what's wrong with them to shifting the focus to what's positive and right with them and going all the way to self-love and self-acceptance. I mean, from, from self-acceptance all the way to self-love. Um, really, that's perfectionism really gets in the way of that. We don't like that we're not perfect. We can't accept our flaws and who we are. So it's this journey of shifting the focus from what's wrong with me to what is right with me, what is the unique combination of gifts that make me the individual that I am and that allow me to contribute to this world in a way that no one else can? Then the third, the third facet is to focus on our values in each particular domain. So I say we have eight domains in our lives and I won't tick them all, but it's, it's mental and physical well-being, your intimate love relationship, all the, the main areas of your life. And especially for women and especially for those of us who have had the thought, I'm not enough, we sort of forget that we can choose. We can choose the direction that our life goes in. And when we get really clear on what's most important to us in every single area of our lives, and we remove the obstacle of the negative self-talk, we can then start taking action toward those things that are so important to us. And when we do that, that's when self-confidence and self-esteem goes through the roof, anxiety, depression, all those things out the door and focus on, on going forward in the direction that they want their lives to go. 
And I can sense that there would be a, such a powerful shift watching them move through that as long as they can move away from, you know, the guilt and the shame. Cause I know that with perfection, often people are shaming themselves or they feel guilty with something, yes. you know, can you speak to a little bit about that, about the shaming and the guilt? Yeah, that comes from, so perfectionism is sort of a two-part thing. The first part is you set unattainable standards for yourself that you can't reach. The second one is, is that you're extremely self-critical after you don't reach those standards. So there are a couple of different things that we work on there. And the first thing is to let go of that negative talk when you don't reach that unattainable standard, right? So we want to work towards psychological flexibility and rewarding and patting ourselves on the back when we take little steps even toward the life that we want and remove the negative talk from beating ourselves over the head when we don't meet this grand expectation. So that really releases the guilt and the shame because that comes from beating yourself up, not from not reaching the goal. It comes from what happens after you don't reach the goal. Yeah. Self-abuse does not serve anyone. No, uh, it surely doesn't. And, and there's a big push for self-compassion and self-love. And um, when I first, you know, was told more about it and they're like, yeah, you got to have more self-compassion and all this. And I'm like, what, you know, go to the gym, take care of myself, you know, eat healthy foods. And they're like, no, no, no. There's more to self-compassion than checking the boxes of the things you need to be doing. Yes. Yes. You are so right. And, and I did those things for years as well. Um, you know, I ate right. I exercised, I did all of that, but the missing component was Nothing I ever did was enough to please myself. I had a wonderful husband, which I, who I still have, three beautiful, healthy kids. I was a lawyer. Everything on paper was just absolutely amazing, but I wasn't good enough to me. So none of that other stuff was ever going to be enough to fill me up. So when you quit looking outside of yourself for validation, and for really the unconditional love and acceptance that we all crave so desperately, and you find a way to get it from yourself, it's, it's a game changer. It's a complete game changer. And not only that, it actually enhances every relationship that you're in because you no longer need these people. You want these people. Yeah. It's, there's life. no codependency with that, right? Right. There's none of that. So we're, we're all free then to go about and do our best and come back together and, and celebrate um, whatever that is. And so, yeah, self-compassion, that's a biggie yeah. for sure. That, that self-acceptance and self-validation, you know, we've talked about it a number of times on the show. Um, when I ran my marathon, I didn't tell anyone. I had a very tight circle of girlfriends that were running in the race with me. Mm -hmm. They were the only people who knew. Um, and the purpose was that I was doing this race only for me. Yes. And when I crossed the finish line, you know, there was one person waiting there with the medal to put around my neck. And that's all I needed. Right. Was that one person to say, Hey, and he said, can I give you a hug? And he gives me a hug and he goes, it was a long way, wasn't it? But that, that long way statement 
he, he probably will never have any idea what that meant to me. It's a, it was yes. the journey to that self-validation, that self-acceptance. And a few days later, my son was painting, a stenciling some quotes on his bedroom wall. And he just looked up at me and he said, mom, who's your hero? And I said, you know, years ago, I would have said Oprah. I would have said um, Princess Diana. And I just looked at him and I, and I, all of a sudden I felt this wave of emotion. And I said, you know what? My hero is me. Oh, and I it love was, that. And it was like this realization that, that because I could do those hard things, suddenly the people that I looked at who did hard things, I realized that I was that person. Right. So I love that. That's so beautiful. And it, and that reminds me of another thing that so many of the women that come to my practice have difficulty with. I love that you can say that out loud, but so many women that come to my office think that if you are proud of yourself or if you are happy with yourself, then that means you are prideful and that is wrong. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and I don't um, see it that way at all. I just, I don't either realization that, wow, like it goes back to your story of what else can I do? I mean, I think it's absolutely fantastic. And I think it's something that we should all strive for, but I'm, that's just part of that. Not enough is, Oh, you know, and as a woman, I should be quiet and be pretty. And, you know, in the South, that's still a thing, honestly, in the South, the Southern part of the United States where I live, I'm sure you can tell from my accent, but, but so I'm from Alabama. And so I love, absolutely love hearing you say that. And I think that's something we should all be able to easily do is to say what we like about ourselves and to be proud of who we are and what we do. It's so important. Yeah. So one thing I want to touch on as, I, as I'm thinking of it is perfection also has to do with avoidance procrastination. Yes. I have so many clients that come to me and say, I don't know why I'm just lazy. I can't get anything done. And after a little while, I'll tell them, you're not lazy, you're anxious. And you're telling yourself you can't do it, or you're telling yourself, I don't have time for perfectionists. It's really funny. We get hung up on time and money. Can't stand to waste time. Can't stand to waste money. Can spend money and spend time, but not waste it. So it's all about being intentional with it. And so many perfectionists say, I don't have time. So they never get started and they put it off and they put it off when procrastination happens because of how high we set the bar. You set the bar at a level that you can't reach. You try to reach it time and time again. You fall, you don't reach the goal. You tell yourself, I told you so, you're not good enough. You can't do it. That's just negative reinforcement for not starting anything. Mm -hmm. Of course that's gonna lead. The rest of our relationships and other parts of our lives. Oh gosh, how much time do you have? <laughs> um, you know, perfectionism um, can totally ruin relationships, especially if you have other oriented perfectionism on top of self-oriented perfectionism. If you expect other people to be perfect, mm -hmm. right? If you set all of these expectations for how other people need to do things, what do you do? You micromanage. You go in behind them and redo 
And what does that do, do to their self-esteem, to their self-confidence? It crushes them, right? If we do that to our children, if we do it to our significant others, they think I can't do it. So it's, it, it, it creates a cycle, a generation after generation of budding per perfectionists. Plus it causes a whole lot of arguments. If you expect one thing from a significant other and they're not a perfectionist, <laughs> they don't have to do it to, to, to how we want it done or what our standards are um, in their minds, but in ours, they do. Yeah, absolutely. I can see how that there'd be that struggle because, you know, one person wants it a certain way and the other person does not have those qualities or maybe even the capacity and the willingness to do so. They're like, you know, I'm quite comfortable. I don't need it your way. I can yeah. see where all the struggle comes in, right? And in work, um, especially if we are our own bosses, um, perfectionism comes out most in work and in school. That's where we really dial in. And you that's what causes people to be workaholics is you get this sole focus and you tell yourself, I need to do one more thing. I haven't done enough today. That's not enough. I need to do more. And we have these loose boundaries or no boundaries at all between our work life and the rest of our life. So it can really lead to severe imbalance. And that also is of course, detrimental to our relationships. So how can people re like we talk about rewiring the brain neuroplasticity, how can we rewire the brain and the answer to, you know, overcoming perfection? So there are several different things um, that we can do to let go of perfectionism. One is, is understanding your limiting beliefs. And sometimes that might take the help of a professional. I mean, some, some are going to be able to do that on their own, but sometimes it takes a professional. Then really getting clear on your values and setting boundaries to protect those values. You know, really being self-aware. How does my perfectionism come out in me? Does it lead me to want to stay at work too long? Does it lead me to want to work on the weekends? Um, does it lead me to not being present and being thinking about work while I'm around my family or doing something else? So really becoming self-aware of how it affects you and setting firm boundaries for yourself, parameters on your days. Um, I would say don't work weekends. <laughs> That, that's going to hurt a lot of people, I know. But, you know, that one thing that you say you're going to do on Saturday for 30 minutes and you tell your child or, or your friend or your significant other just 30 more minutes, that 30 minutes may turn into an hour or may turn into an hour 30 and then your day is gone. Mm -hmm. The other thing that I work on with my clients is to become process focused instead of result focused. The energy behind perfectionism is the desire to avoid failure. You're living for that result. So really you're spending all of your time on 5% of your time. So you're spending all of your time to try to enjoy that 5% of getting the result. And even when you get the result, it's rarely ever good enough and you're on to the next result. Mm -hmm. So it's really about being process focused, set the bar high. If you want to just don't set it at perfect, mm -hmm. 
set your goals, then reverse engineer the little bite-sized steps that it's going to take you to reach those gigantic goals. Let go of the goal and then just pro focus on living the process of the steps. And it comes down to trusting the process. <laughs> yes, it really does. Yeah, it really does. You know, when you were talking about boundaries, it made me think about how it could lead to people, people pleasing that perfection. Oh, definitely. Absolutely. Um, I see that with so many clients, um, not wanting to ever say no. And if they do say no, it, the guilt is so bad that they might as well have just said yes, because they can't enjoy themselves. It, it actually does lead you to people pleasing. And when you're a people pleaser, what happens is you're not satisfied with your life because you don't ever get to your own agenda. You're too busy working toward everyone else's agendas. So that's when I really help those clients get super clear on what they value in their lives so that they can start directing their attention and their actions toward that instead of everyone else's agendas. So I can see, you know, when people become those people pleasers because of that perfection, it can lead to feeling a loss of identity, um, also a loss of joy in their lives because they're not working on their own agendas. Yeah, and it's particularly hard on, say, moms who have been staying at home and taking care of their kids and, and doing everything that they can to help everyone in their lives go out of the home and live their best lives. Mm -hmm. And that can be fulfilling for a while until everybody's gone and out of the house. And you're left with feeling like I don't have a purpose anymore. I don't know what my purpose is. And so I help those women get back to, you're not done. <laughs> you know, you've got plenty of time left. What do you want to do with it? Like you, you get to choose now, right? This can be a wonderful time in your life. We just need to get clear on what you want it to look like. And, you know, I find it fascinating because there's so many different points of transition during our lives, the journey. And, you know, not only the empty nesting, but if someone was let go of a job, uh, divorce, um, marriage, you know, so many different transition points that someone once said to me, your problem's not your problem, right? So when you see the transition, you know, people can be in a place of grieving, a loss, and that would be natural because it's something sure. that you've spent so much time in. But then the viewpoint of the possibility of new beginnings. Yes, what happens there is we have this, this picture of ourself, whether you are going through a divorce or whether you're going through your children leaving the nest, you have this picture of what you think your life is and what you think your life should be and will be. If you hang tightly, if you hang on tightly to that picture, like for dear life, as if that is the only one, that's going to make it very difficult for you to change and move on. Mm -hmm. it's, it's looking at yourself as, yes, that was my picture, but wait a minute, I can create a new picture and by the way, this time, I don't want to hang on to it so tightly because hanging on to it tightly really 
prohibits growth and change and movement. And what we really want to do is have the psychological flexibility in how we see ourselves in the world so that we are allowing for constant change and growth, which makes our lives so much more satisfying. Yeah. Because I, I know when people have a vision of, you know, maybe their marriage or a vision of how their career will unfold and all of a sudden blindsided, you know, the way things are going and suddenly, you know, they find themselves in what I'd call chaos or muck. And, you know, because they only see themselves in their current circumstance. They don't see beyond what could be possible because of how much pain maybe they are feeling or confusion right. or like still disbelief. Yeah, absolutely. And, and to, to those people, I would say, let yourself feel what you feel, give yourself time, you know, don't rush your rush yourself through the grieving process. Definitely don't beat yourself up for having feelings, but then when the fog kind of clears a little bit, and if the fog doesn't clear after a little while, go find a counselor or someone that can help you sort of part that fog to where you can see the possibilities and start moving toward them. Thank you for that. Cause I, I know people sit in that transitional place and some could be stuck for years and knowing that there's gotta be a time where you wanna disrupt that pattern because disrupting the pattern is gonna lead you onto a new path. Yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a delicate balance, right? Of letting yourself feel what you feel but not feeling it for so long that you forget there's any other way to feel. Mm -hmm. And that's sometimes you don't know that until, until you really need help. So um, yeah, it is, it's definitely good to recognize, validate your feelings and then notice, you know, if you start changing your behavior, isolating yourself from others, not enjoying anything that you used to enjoy before that's time to reach out for somebody to help you. So what would be some tips or strategies you'd offer someone who's sitting in perfection or in that place of procrastination because of perfection to help move forward? The main thing is to break it down into bite-sized pieces because perfectionists see and are very focused on what they want that goal and it's usually a big one right it's usually a really big one and just looking at that and not thinking about anything else is completely overwhelming and will keep you from moving in any direction let alone toward that goal so i would say break it down some break it down some more and break it down even more until the tiniest step until you can look at that first step and be 80% sure that you are ready to take that step. Now, the next thing is perfectionists, their brains are always going to tell them, I need to do more. I need to learn more before I make create this presentation. I need to um, do more research before I launch, launch my podcast. They, they never feel ready. It's not ever good enough. And that's the other thing that keeps us perfectionists from moving. So once you've broken it down into these tiny bite-sized pieces, 
find one that you're 80% ready to do. And that's when you just have to take that courageous leap because your brain is never going to tell you that you're 100% ready to do it. Yeah. It's never going to feel 100% safe. N- never. And when it, if it does feel 100% safe, it's not worth doing. Yeah. It's yeah. not going to get you the satisfaction that you deserve out of your life. If it's that comfortable, it's probably going to be a waste of your time. And and that's, you know, I was listening to a podcast the other day and I thought it was very powerful in the fact that they said, when you're setting a goal, often the goals that people set for themselves are often things that they know are achievable versus setting a stretch goal that's going to push them to grow and make them achieve more. So for example, they were talking about, you know, when somebody said they're saving for a car, you know, they're doing a little bit of research, but they're just going to buy the same brand of car that they bought last time. They're not going to go out of what they're comfortable with of predictability. And um, I never thought about it that way. And then I might think about some of the goals that people have shared with me, or even if even a few of my own, I'm like, whoa, this is where we got to start dreaming a lot bigger because you're doing something that you already know you can accomplish. So you, you check it off versus feel that exhilaration that you feel when you got off the stage, wondering what you can do next, right? That to me would be the experience you want to have after reaching one of those goals. Yes, absolutely. And so when I, when I get through working with my clients, once we get them out of that anxious or panic state or out of the depression and we're doing the value work and they're starting to move toward the lives that they want, that's when I say, okay, now that we've gotten you here, let's dream a little bit bigger. Yeah. Where do you really want to go? Yeah. Where do you really, and you can't say that at the beginning. No. Because that's way too overwhelming. Mm -hmm. But when you get them back to this place of feeling like themselves again, or even better than they've ever felt, you're like, what, what have you really always wanted to do? Like really always, but have even been afraid to say out loud, like, what is that thing? Yeah. And then what will it take to get there? Hmm. That doesn't seem so insurmountable. Okay. Let's do it. Yeah. That's the really fun part. It's amazing. Like we could keep talking for hours about how, you know, perfectionism affects our lives. I mean, we've, we've talked a little bit about that. Some of the strategies to overcome it, you know, there's so many different strategies and every single person is so individual. What would be one message you want to send to our audience who's listening or watching us on YouTube about, you know, how perfectionism shows up in their life and how it's okay to be imperfect? Can I answer that question with another little story? Absolutely. Okay. So this was only, this was December after that same August, I was about to graduate. It was within a week or so of graduating. And I took my son to the Alabama State High School swim meet. And I'd been to these years after year with his sister. And I'm sitting in this crowd and this place is electric. It's at Auburn University, hundreds of swimmers. This was pre-COVID, hundreds of swimmers down on the floor hundreds of parents in the stands, yelling, screaming, wearing school colors. I mean, it is electric. So I'm looking down to figure out when my son's going to swim. And I noticed that everybody's clapping, not just like, you know, the people from one school, like this 
kid just won from this school. Everybody's clapping and it gets louder and louder and louder. And I look up from my phone and look down in the pool and I see this one male swimmer who is very far behind all the rest of the swimmers in the pool. And then I realize everybody is cheering for him because this swimmer had one arm and no legs. Wow. I mean, no legs. Like right where his bathing suit stopped, that's where his legs stopped. He had no second arm yeah. whatsoever. Ever. This swimmer was in the pool swimming the 100 freestyle, four laps. You can imagine the balance that you have to create to be able to breathe sure. when only one side of your body is being propelled for the water through the water. So I'm starting to cry. I've got chills all over. Everybody's standing up. And just when I think that we could not be more amazed, he takes his one arm. Well, after he swam it in less than two minutes, he takes his one arm and pulls himself out of the pool. Oh, I can hardly do that with two arms on a good day. <laughs> so I just want to be that to be the message that we leave everyone with. I have two arms, two legs. I have no physical restraints on me, no external restraints. Yeah. From age seven on, I wouldn't let myself join the little summer swim team because I didn't know how to swim well enough yet. That's what my brain was always telling me because mm -hmm. of perfectionism. This lovely swimmer's brain, it didn't matter what it told him. Yeah. After a while, he told his brain what he was doing and he did it. He had every reason in the world why he couldn't do it. Mm -hmm. So don't believe what your brain is telling you when it says you can't do it. It's only trying to protect you. You have to find the courage to prove it wrong. And you can talk back to your thoughts. You so can talk back to your thoughts and say, I'm not buying it. I'm not buying this today. Go sell it somewhere else. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So Catherine, we're almost at the end of the interview and I'd love to know what is one book that has had the greatest impact in your life? Oh, that's such a hard question. You know, I love James Clear, Atomic Habits. Mm. I absolutely love that book um, because I am a, a cognitive behavioral therapist at, at heart. So the behavior, the way to change behavior is by addressing your thoughts and by addressing your actions. And James Clear just can help you develop the healthy habits that you want to have that you can build on, build on and build on that that are going to give you the life that you want. That's great. I love that you mentioned that book. I was actually talking about it with a girlfriend yesterday. And she was saying the best part about his book was that, you know, when you fall off of habit, never let it go longer than one day. And then yes. you'll be able to maintain that habit. If you pick, notice it, change it, go back to your habit. You're re you're continually reinforcing the habit that you want to keep. Yes, absolutely. I would say perfectionists, we have to find a little bit of flexibility here and forgiveness for ourselves. Mm -hmm. If we do fall off of the habit, um, try not to beat yourself up because that's going to make it harder to get back started. Just yeah. pick yourself up, dust yourself off, say, that's okay. I'm going back in. Well, you said something key there, forgiveness. How do need, perfectionists need to pull in some forgiveness? 
Yeah, those two F words very much go together, flexibility and forgiveness. And I think a lot of that comes from separating from those negative things that we've been telling ourselves for so long, and then instead incorporating the positive. So that, that works great with being process focused. So when you're process focused and you have just done the steps for the day, for the day regardless of what the result is, regardless of whether you're at the goal, if you have done the steps at the end of the day, you celebrate yourself, you pat yourself on the back. It was a good day you did what you needed to do. And being your own cheerleader is kind of how you get to that point of flexibility and forgiveness. Yeah. Well said, well said. Thank so, you. What does it mean to you to live rich from the inside out? I would say that psychological flexibility and self-compassion, when we're not looking for it anywhere else, we always have it. That's something that nobody can take away from us. I think it's more important than money. It's more important than time. It's more important than anything that we know we are the rock on which we built our own foundation and everything else that comes up from that foundation. I love that, that you are the rock for that foundation. That's that's awesome. And I know our listeners and I know our viewers have taken away so much from this conversation. Catherine, any final words for them? Oh, I've just had the best time. Thank y'all for letting me in your community to talk to you today. And I really, really hope that you leave this conversation being nicer to yourself, treating yourself the way you would a friend or a small child. We should all strive to treat ourselves that way. Excellent. So how can people stay in touch with you? Well, you can listen to my podcast, Imperfect Thriving, or you can also go to my website, imperfectthriving.com, where I have lots of resources. I have a free progress over perfection workshop that they can do along with some other resources. Fabulous. And I know you're on social media as well, and we're going to have those links down in the show notes for people to connect with you as well. Yes, thank you so much at Imperfect Thriving on all channels. Excellent. Thank you, Catherine, so much for coming on the Millionaire Woman Show. It has been such a pleasure. And I know people will walk away, you know, having more awareness of their own perfection. Maybe not beating themselves up about, you know, delaying things, that procrastination. And maybe revisiting why they may be people-pleasing and really take steps forward to embracing the life that they truly see for themselves. I hope so. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Thank you. Hello, everyone. And don't forget to go over to my website at www.debrakazowski.com, where you can right now get your three-part video course called Making Habits Stick to build focus and consistency into whatever goal that you're planning for yourself to do that reverse engineering. And, you know, go over to the podcast, rate, review, subscribe, click the bell if you're on YouTube right now so that you can make sure you're notified whenever there's the next episode. And I do some have some extra videos. Now, if you're interested in coaching, go into contact me on my website and let me know what you're up to. And I will be happy to connect with you for your discovery session. As Muhammad Gandhi said, be the change you wish to see in the world. And on behalf of Catherine and myself, go out and make today great.